So let us turn now to the scriptures and read in the book of Amos. We're in chapter 5 of Amos uh, 16, and we'll read through to the end of the chapter. So 16 through 27 of the book of Amos. And uh, the focus of this is the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Beginning to read them with verse 16 of Amos 5. Therefore the Lord God of hosts, the Lord says this, There shall be wailing in all streets, and they shall say in all the highways, Alas, alas! They shall cry, they shall call the farmer to mourning, and skillfully lamenter, and skillful lamenters to wailing. In all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through you, says the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or as though he went into the house and and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feast days. And I do not favor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. For I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Did you offer me sacrifices? And offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel, you also carried Sikuth, your king, and Chinnath, your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore I will send you unto captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding. This is a very seminal passage in the book of Amos, which deals with the title of the sermon, The Day of the Lord. I don't know whether you've ever thought about this or not. When we say, when we use the term Day of the Lord, what comes to mind in your mind's eye? The Day of the Lord. Israel was using it in one sense, and that's why Amos mocks it in the first couple of verse, well, about verse 11, or I mean verse 12, when he, he says, in verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 18, he says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? You see, they were using it in one way, and uh, he was using it in another. And with uh, Amos is one of the first of the prophets uh, in the latter part of Israel's history. And so after Amos introduced this concept under the, uh, under the revelation of God, uh, other prophets like uh, Isaiah, Malachi, at the end of the at the end of the Old Testament, used this term too, uh, derisively and with condemnation. We learned last week that God said it was a time for a lamentation upon to come upon Israel. In other words, the the history of Israel was on a linear line, and uh, they had missed the opportunity to repent, and as a nation. And so God had brought them to the place where now uh, it was predestined 
or I mean foreordained, that it would not be a time of blessing as a nation. The nation, in effect, uh, was done. And that's why at the beginning of the sermon outline on the bottom of the bulletin, I say there uh, that uh, the day of the Lord from this time on was used by Joel, Isaiah, Malachi, etc. It was seen as the final judgment on the Old Testament nation of Israel as fulfilled by the Assyrian, Babylonian, and Roman conquests. Many evangelicals and dispensationalists today still don't get this, preferring obstinate Old Testament Israel to New Testament Messianic Israel, the Israel of Romans 9, 1 through 6. If we turn to Romans 9, um, Romans 9, 1 through, 1 through 6, you see there that the Apostle Paul <laughs> writes at the time where Israel was about to be obliterated off the face of the earth as a nation state. It was he just he lived a little bit before the the seventy A.D. Um, vanquishing of Rome by the Romans and uh, or by of Jerusalem by the Romans. And so Paul writes in Romans nine, I tell you the tr- I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continued grief in my heart, for I could not wish that I myself were for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, that is the Israelites, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. But it is not that the word of God, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect or has failed. For they, that is Israel, are not all Israel who are of Israel. Very famous verse. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of the promise. At this time I will come back, come, and Sarah shall have a son. Um, He goes on to speak about Rebekah and others. So this is a, in the New Testament, this is a, uh, here's Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, an Israelite of the Israelites, and he's lamenting the fact that that this transition has taken place and that now the the Gentile church, or we call it the Messianic church, it's the the church of people who have put their faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. They are now the focus of God's historical working. Now, it does say in Romans, in the next chapter, it says that there will be a future revival of Israelites, plural, but not Israel as a nation. Uh, Now, the dispensationalists say, well, in in 1948, the Israeli state was raised up, and so Israel is back. But you notice with the Israeli state that it is entirely secular, uh, the Israeli state was one of the main proponents of the internet and the pornography that that fed the internet and and uh, um, uh, supported the internet in the early the first decade or so of the internet's presence. There's there are tremendous problems in uh, just lately. Um, um, 
the, the president of Israel or the prime minister of Israel, <clears throat> all I can think of is Menachem Begin. It's not his, uh, uh, I can't think of the, the fellow's name, but they're, they're in such chaos there in terms of the government of modern Israel that they have been, they've been trying to arrest him and, and indict him for the last 10 years. It's even worse than with President Trump. And it's because their Supreme Court is, is not like our Supreme Court where it's hemmed in by specific rules. And the Supreme Court has become a kind of super government that, uh, that basically can go the whim of whatever the different justices uh, think. And so um, he has been, they've been trying to rein it in and make it more like the American system. We have enough troubles, but they have even more. And it's because, you see, that they, they are not a spiritual people. They, they're less spiritual than America is. And we know our problems are immense, but they're even worse. So now you see some fleshly uh, elements here in terms of Israel, in terms of the history of Israel, especially in terms of the future. But the point is that... God wants, God promises that some Israelites will come to faith, just like in Amos, in the last, the last week or two, we focused on how, uh, instead of hoping, putting hope in the nation state of Israel, Amos is now saying he called the people as individuals to repent and to focus on their own individual lives. He said there was hope there because some of them were elect. And some of them would be elect. And that's where this future revival is going to come to come from. From Israelis, uh, Jewish, Jewish people, who, though dispossessed of the land, though no longer being part of the nation state, the God will work with them spiritually and will bring them to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As it says also in the New Testament, that when, when, when the Jews say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that will be the day where they can have, they can find some hope for themselves. But here we find, we find that, um, uh, and you'll see money raised on TV today by Christians who are saying that we, that our focus should really be on the Jews of Russia or whatever who are suffering. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a nice thing if you can help anybody who's suffering, but we should not be focusing upon the, the nation state of Israel as if, it were, as if it had not been brought down by the wrath of God. It's just an un, 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 uh, unbelieving secular way of looking at modern history. And so uh, Amos, as a prophet, is, is the one that starts this roll call going. He, he starts this mood, he starts sounding this theme, and he does it by talking about the day of the Lord. Now this term, the day of the Lord, this is the first time in this chapter, this is the first time that that's used in the Bible uh, uh, by the prophets. It was used once, I'll, I'll quote that for you in Deuteronomy, it was used once before um, in Deuteronomy 31, but... Um, but this is the first time that it's used by one of the prophets. And as it's used in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 31, um, verses 14 and following, uh, th this is the basis for the usage of it by the prophets, by Amos and the others. In other words, God, when he, when he, when he brought Israel into the land and he gave them the land, the law, as he's talking about that, he, he, argue, he argues that this day would come the day that the day of the Lord would come. So let's turn to uh, Deuteronomy 31, verse 14. 
And I'll read through verse uh, 17, um, or eight, verse 18. Um, then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. He's saying that to Moses. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting that I may inaugurate him or ordain him. So for the task that he had as the new Moses. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud. This was a special theophonic appearance by the Lord. And the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land, where they go to be with them. And they will forsake me and break my covenant which they made, which I made with them. Verse 17, Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them. It means he will wash his hands of them. Uh, again, this is as a nation state. This is the De book of Deuteronomy is like the Israeli constitution. And so you cannot disregard the, the context of these statements. And I will hide my face from them and they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them so that they will say in that day, uh, I have, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us. And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they have done and that they have turned to other gods. So uh, Moses gave them a fearful day to look forward to when they would be cast out, when the, the nation state would be cast out. The, the pagan nations were cast out of Palestine before this. Uh, God transplanted his people in. He revoked the deed that the pagans had to the land of half Palestine. And then uh, after a thousand years or so, God revoked the deed of the Israelites too. And so that is the right of the Lord. And God will revoke our deeds if we do not turn to him, if we do not keep him at the forefront of our minds. And so <clears throat> we see that, uh, that uh, Deuteronomy 31 sets the mood for this and then in the book of Amos, we see, and in chapter 5, uh, we see three times here, verse, starting with verse 18 and then verse 20, where uh, the article is used, the day of the Lord. So a, a Moses had warned about a day of the Lord coming. And uh, then uh, Amos now teaches about uh, that, that this day has arrived. And then we'll pick up... Um, uh, Joel used this phrase. Isaiah used it a lot in his prophecy. And finally, then Malachi closes out the, New, uh, the Old Testament by invoking this, this term, that the day of the Lord uh, had arrived. And after Malachi, we know that the, the nation state was uh, largely destroyed. They were never sovereign again during the Roman period. There was a state there, but it was not a sovereign state. It was not operating as a full-fledged country. Uh, that they were there. It was the, the Romans were inter, um, interacting with them, but the the Sanhedrin, the General Assembly of Israel, was no longer autonomous over itself or its people. So let's look at one of the let's look at a couple of the passages in Isaiah. 
Um, um, uh, Isaiah, let's turn to Isaiah 2, verse 11, um, 11 through 22. So Isaiah 2, 11 through 22. <clears throat> he's been talking about, he's, he, he's been to, from verse 5 on, he's talking about the day of the Lord. But in verse 12, he gets into it, um, mentions the term. He, he tells the people in verse 10, Enter into a rock, into the rock, and hide in the dust for the terror, from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. Verse 12, the haughtiness, For the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. So the day of the Lord is a day where things are made right, where God's wrath falls and where that wrath is cleansing. Verse 12, for the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up and it shall be brought low, upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up and upon all the oaks of Bashan. Remember, Bashan is the Golan Heights in the southeast, southwest Syria. Upon all the high mountains and upon all the hills that are lifted up, upon every high tower, upon every fortified wall, upon all the ships of Tarshish, upon all the beautiful slopes, upon uh, and the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And so uh, Isaiah speaks about this, and he speaks about it in a number of other places too. The day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord became a special, um, uh, a special incident that was prophesied by Moses, and then invoked or announced by Amos and some of the other prophets like Isaiah. <clears throat> um, the the last. The last section or the last quote that I'm going to read is from Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 2. Malachi 3, verse 2. And there we read, this is the Malachi's the very last prophet of the Old Testament, you remember. And so Malachi says here, but who can endure the day of his coming. Now, see, the Jews talked about, oh, the day, the day of the Lord, the day of the day, they, they interchanged it with the Sabbath day just because they did it all the time. And so they would talk about how, oh, this is the day of the Lord. And God, but God is saying, oh, the day of the Lord is all negative. It's darkness. It is, it is going to be a terror to you because I am going to come with my full vent of anger. So he says in verse 2, Malachi 3 2, well, who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. And he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will punish the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord uh, an offer of righteousness. <clears throat> then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien, because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord. 
I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob, yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances. And uh, he says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, in what way shall we return? Well, um, uh, here we see that uh, Malachi is speaking about this day and uh, that uh, it has it has now come. Uh, in the, the, the Old Testament prophets will cease. The last prophet they shall see is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see, first of all, here that <clears throat> the day of the Lord is a phenomenon and that it was prophesied about. And the, I've said before, the prophets were like the policeman that sits along the road. And when you come by, the other day I was driving up 75, and uh, and I'm not a slow driver, but a man blazed by me like almost out of sight before I could say anything about it. And I thought, wow, that guy is really going. And uh, we passed under an under, underpass, and all of a sudden I saw a police car coming down, up, the, up the ramp. He must have been sitting on top of the bridge. He was after that guy uh, like, a, like a, a mosquito on a... Uh, bather at the beach, you know, lots of skin, uh, beautiful uh, moisture there from the water, and uh, he was on them. And then about another mile or two up the road, there they were pulled off beside the road. So that's the way the prophets were. You see, they, they, the, the covenant, the, the written covenant, the objective covenant of God, which Moses gave through through Moses, God gave the people. That was the law. That was the covenant, that was the objective lawful constitution by which they were bound. And then when they deviated it, the prophets came as announcers uh, that they were covenant breakers, that they had broke, that they'd taken the plates of the covenant and broke them because they, they, were, they held God in total disdain. I love the phrase, breaking the covenant, because the covenant was were written on, on uh, uh, clay or stone tablets, and uh, if you wanted to show your total disdain for them, you could just repudiate them. You could break them. They, they were breakable. You could break them. And it showed that you would not abide by what the Lord was calling you to do. What about us in our lives? Do we have any sense of that objective law of God, of the fact that it's outside of us? It doesn't matter what we think about it. It doesn't matter about our subjective feelings, our subjective notions, our subjective opinions. It is the law of God, and it will be brought, it will be executed. It will stand. We might be broken. We can break it, but it will stand anyway, because it belongs to the Lord. Our generation today, we just have no real sense of the absolute truth, the absolute nature of the law of God, that God will hold us accountable to it. It doesn't matter who your father is, who your mother is. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter about anything in your life. You may, you may think a thousand circumstances qualify how God's covenant falls upon you, but that's not true. If you do not have the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, then the covenant, then the, the responsibility of the covenant falls wholly upon you. And your disobedience, what will you do when you come to face the day of the Lord? Your day of the Lord. What will you do? We pray to God in his mercy that his Holy Spirit would soften our hearts, that we turn to him through 
using his main vehicle, his main instrument of redemption, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ says, come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. But we are so proud in our lives. We do not need the Savior. Can you imagine standing before the Lord and he says, I sent you a Savior. What have you done with the Savior? He said, I don't, I didn't think I needed one. Why would God send the Savior if you did not need him? And yet that's what Israel had done. And so uh, we see as we transition here in the book of Amos to, to verse 21, uh, we see that uh, God tells his, his uh, special contempt that he has for the false faith of Israel. He says, I hate, I despise your feast days. You do not savor your sacred assemblies. You offer me burnt offerings and your great offerings. I will not accept them. Is this not like today? The Christian church says, oh, we do this, we do that. We go to church. We give you an hour on Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, we, we, may, we may even give money to the church. We do all of these things, Lord. Are you not happy with us? We look upon ourselves as if we do something extra special in our lives. And this is the way the Israelites thought. But their hearts were far from the Lord. They went through these outward paces, these ceremonies. But their hearts did not see a real relevance to God in their lives. And so they sat, they would sit, sit in church, they would come to the temple, and they would be like zombies. You know, the zombies are just kind of walking around. Mm, 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 mm. But not responsive. They didn't have fleshly hearts that were alive. For God, that's what God calls us to. That's what God was condemning Israel for its lack thereof. And so, first of all, here, as a consequence, we see his contempt for false faith in verse 21. Um, We normally shrink, as mature Christians, we, we normally shrink from excessive negativity with other parts of Christianity or with unbelievers. We want to be as loving as we can be, but there comes a time where we've got to be honest also. And we've got to recognize that things are as they are. They are as they are. God says here in verse 21, I hate, I despise your feast days. The feast days were things that they did that were prescribed by the law of God. But God says he he hates them and he despises. Do you think God is overstating himself in his word? Do you think he's just using overly strong words to try rhetorically to just get their attention? Oh, I didn't really mean I hate you. I said it so that I get your attention, but I didn't really mean it. No. You see, God means it. That's the terrifying part. God means it. And God hates our, uh, the way we live our lives as Christians if we if it doesn't come from a real heart and soul that's been redeemed by the Holy Spirit. And so uh, he, in verse 23 then, he, he says, uh, and again, this is not too negative. He says, take away from me the noise of your songs. Uh, so uh, they, at that time, ostensibly, they were singing the psalms like we sing. Now, most of evangelicalism doesn't even sing the psalms anymore. But you see, he, the, the psalms were being sung in such a way, they were routine, they were ceremonial, 
They were outward and not inward. And so he says, take away from me the noise of your songs. God says in another part of the Bible, I will not hear your prayers. People think, well, if I pray to God, he's got to hear my prayers. Not if you pray in such a way that they're not based upon Christ in your great need of salvation. And so in this case, the songs of Zion appear as so much noise. You know what noise is, right? Noise is that stuff that bothers you. It's not a melodious song. It's not something that soothes the ears. It's like the clanging of a cowbell or the scratch of, of uh, glass uh, on a, 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 a chalkboard or something like that or a hard piece of chalk and it screeches. That's noise. None of us like noise. And God says, compares here the idea of noise to the worship of God's people. He says, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice come down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Now you see, what, if, if there's anything that the modern church is, uh, is aboard with, it's these things here, the righteousness of God, the law of God, we say, oh, we don't need the law of God anymore because we, we worship so fulsomely. Our worship is so enthusiastic. Well, what would God say? How would he evaluate these things? You can go through the paces, but miss the heart of the thing. And I'm afraid that there are many, uh, many song leaders today in the Church of Christ. Uh, uh, many <clears throat> of the... Uh, of a gospel veneer that think that um, that they are doing exactly what God says. But woe be the day that you come before the Lord and he says to you, I've had enough of your noise. Now in the RP church, we try to take these things more seriously. We, we ask the Lord, what would you have us to do for worship? Most people don't even ask that question today. They don't ask what would God, how would God have us worship Him. They just don't care. They 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 think what I think in my heart is most important. I want to worship the Lord in this way. I want to worship God with a band. I want to worship God with rock music or whatever else they, they that comes up in their mind. And they just think that God will agree with them because they've had the idea. Well, damn the ideas. Dare our minds as human beings. Let us go to the Lord and see what he wants. And in, in the Bible, there are, there are lots of places where he explains the worship that he wants. Um, I'm afraid that there will be many evangelicals. There will be many, many people even in the Reformed faith, and we are few enough already. There will be many people in the Reformed faith whose worship is utterly unacceptable to God because... Um, their hearts are so from, so far from the reality of the Lord. And so in verse 25, well, he, he says, and let justice roll down like a river, righteousness like a mighty stream. How many in, in, our, in our denominational magazines and newspapers, how many, how many articles are there on justice and righteousness? There's almost nothing, almost nothing. We're all theology. We never focus on some of the things that Amos is focusing on. But you see, if you have the right theology, then you're supposed to have the right ethics. And if you have the right ethics, you'll create the right culture. Unless you've created a Christian culture, God would say you're not really serious about your faith. That's what he's saying in the book of Amos. 
And so he says, therefore, verse 27, um, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus. I was going to say something about verse 25, uh, verse 25 and 26, because he said, did you offer me sacrifices in the wilderness 40 years? What he's saying there, when when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, Their worship there was not instantaneously successful, was it? No, because God kept them there for 40 years. So they were there. They were going through the paces, but their hearts were still far from the Lord. And so he says, you also carried in in the New King James, it says Sekuth. In the King James, it says Moloch, which is better uh, because Moloch was a Canaanite god and they think that Sikuth was a phrase or a term that related to Moloch worship. And then uh, the Chinnath was another uh, a false god. The Romans talked about these two gods as, as uh, Jupiter and Saturn, if you, if you understand anything about Roman uh, religion. But these were false gods. And so God says that even though they were in the wilderness, they carried these false gods in their midst instead of Jehovah. Therefore, verse 27, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Now, look at the way God speaks of himself at the the end of this passage. Says the Lord, that's the word Jehovah. Says Jehovah, whose name is the God, the Elohim of hosts. When God, when God speaks of himself as the Lord of hosts, he's speaking about the angelic hosts, the other, the angelic, uh, the angels of heaven. And so if he's the Lord of all the angels, if he is the sovereign over all the angels, the host of heaven, then what is he to us as human beings? He better be our Lord. We better recognize him as the God of gods, as the Lord of lords. And so that's what uh, Amos closes with in this in this. Um, uh, indictment of the nation of Israel. He's telling them, as a prophet of the living God, as one of God's messengers to Israel, I now announce that the day of the Lord is in the offering. And the day of the Lord is not a day of lightness or silliness or superficial happiness. The day of the Lord is something that is most severe, terrifying. The word terror has been used again and again, both here and in Isaiah, in the book of Deuteronomy, because it's not a happy day. Uh, Just recently, I think it was last week, an Irish singer that I really liked, I liked her Irish songs, I didn't like some of her other songs so much, but Sinead O'Connor died. Only in her 50, young, early 50s, she died. And when I hear of the deaths of people like that, sometimes ball players, sometimes musicians, sometimes politicians or businessmen, I think to myself, I ask myself the question, how much were they outwardly for the God of the Bible? It's very sad that today, hardly anyone that dies They're not known for being biblical people. They're just not known for that, and so they die. What is in the offering for them? I shrink back to think of how they could possibly think that they shall face the living God, uh, the Lord of Lords, the God of the heavenly hosts. How can they face him and not be responsive to the things that he's laid down as law? But they do every day. Every year, there's a whole list of leaders who have died. 
and hardly a one, hardly a one is recognized as being a spiritual person or one who is identified with Jesus Christ in the sense that they have called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Let us not be numbered in that group. We may not have all the money in the world. We may not be famous, but let us be found holy. Let us be found holy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father and our God, we pray that that we might hear these words, this, this prophecy of Amos, especially when it comes to the day of the Lord, that we might take it seriously. Israel did not, and so they were vanquished from the face of the earth. Even today, when someone calls themselves a Jew, they're, they're just supposing that they're a Jew. They, they're, they, they claim to be Jews because they want to be Jews, because they, but there's no genealogical record to be found in the bowels of the Old Testament temple that identify them that way, that they can prove that they're really Jews. Because thou didst vanquish the temple in 70 A.D., Thou didst bring the day of the Lord upon them in a most severe way. Thou didst destroy a generation before with the Assyrian invasions and the Babylonian invasions. Thou didst destroy the ten tribes. They they were no they know they never came back. Uh, the the tribes of Judah and Benjamin did come back under Ezra and Nehemiah, but not the ten tribes, unless they had of people, of individuals of those ten tribes had headed south already and identified with Judah, which some did. Oh God, we pray that we would not be so presumptuous, that we would not think that our minds, that the, that the boundaries of our minds were the boundaries of thy divine mind. And we pray that we would take thee seriously and our families, our devotions, our lives, our choices, our theology, and our culture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.